Well, welcome New Village Church. Welcome New Hope Baptist Church. Thank you so much for um, New, New Hope coming on over. I wasn't sure how many would come over. I know some were afraid to still come in the building. But thank you so much for traveling up here and joining with us. And New Village, thank you for allowing them to come with us so they were not left stranded and uh, we can fellowship together. Uh, last year, we were able to do VBS together, our church and your church, and it was an absolute wonderful year. Uh, at that, we, we had a great time in the morning with the little guys. Uh, and then at night we did the teen rally out of here on the field and in here and um, Still be a week that I'll never forget. It was just a tremendous tremendous week The Spirit of God was working and the camaraderie of being able to work together was absolutely phenomenal um, So thank you so much uh, Just I got just a couple announcements for New Hope But some might also or one at least would be um, I want to give to you guys as well um, New Hope tonight we will have evening service at our church and that'll be at 6 o'clock, and we'll be continuing in 1 Kings. This announcement's for everybody here. Tomorrow uh, at our church, we're having a Labor Day barbecue at about noon on, and all of you are welcome to come. It'll be outside in the back uh, in the parking lot there. We'll have all the picnic tables out. We'll have the grill going, uh, burgers, hot dogs, steak, chicken, all that kind of good stuff. Um, New Hope members, you bring enough food for you and a few other guests, the meat, and then also bring a side dish or dessert. And if you're our guest, you can just come. And seriously, when I say this, if you want to come and get a burger and go, that is totally fine. If you want to come and fellowship and stay with us the entire day, we'd love that too. Um, so that'll be about noon on, and we'll probably be there until right early evening. And so if you, in New Village, if you can come, we would love you to come. Even if you're just one person from New Village who would like to say, I'm not doing anything tomorrow, um, come on down. Normally, we do a Memorial Day barbecue, but because of the craziness of this year, that got put on hold, and uh, we're doing a Labor Day one instead. And so, man, it's been, it's been interesting, right? This whole year has been, I mean, to say the least, interesting uh, to have to come to church, masks on, and have things taped off, have outdoor, outdoor services, be watching a lot of church online, and a lot of crazy things out there. Um, but the Lord still is faithful, right? I want to remind you of one thing. Whenever, and I tell our people this all the time. When you don't know what else is going on in the world and you can't make sense of it and it's up and down, then you keep your eyes on the one thing that you do know, and that's Jesus Christ, right? The same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, and nothing about 2020 took him by surprise. And so we rest in the shadow of his wings, and we're fine. Uh, we're fine by that. New Hope, um, also Thursday night, we will have um, our midweek service at 7 o'clock, and we'll be continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then any other announcements beside that, I'll give you at another time. Um, New Village, thank you so much. Now, for everybody, uh, or at least for New Hope to fill them in, um, New Village has been in a series on Mark, I'm told, and, and so this week and next week, we'll be here, New Hope, and um, we'll be picking up right where they are and actually being able to finish their series out for them, so that's a great privilege. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 15 today, and we'll also be looking at Mark chapter 16 next week. But before we get to Mark 15, definitely open up there, but I do want to open up to Isaiah chapter 53. As I'm going through the passage to try to look at what, what do we want to pull from Mark 15 that we want to preach on, and do you know what, I, do you know what Lord just let on my heart? Everything. Because the narrative is too rich. Because the entire thing of the Bible is getting to this point. I mean, chapter 15 and chapter 16 culminate on the narrative that is the greatest, the most important event in human history. Nothing even comes remotely close to what happens in these two things. Now, we're going to read Isaiah 53 a little bit, and I want you to think about this, right? If, no matter who you are, you have to realize this, how great a sinner you are. 
Uh, I like that one song we sung where it said, though I failed a thousand times, still his mercy is there, so his mercy flows. When you look in the mirror, I hope you realize just who you are. Because if you don't realize who you are, you'll never see who God is. The bigger you are in your own eyes, the smaller God is in your life. And the bigger uh, um, God is in your life, the smaller you are. And the, and the more that you realize that we are a failure and we need God, the more you're going to be reliant on him rather than self-reliant. And so as we read Isaiah 53, written so many years before it actually happened, this is prophetic, right? I want you to think about the language. I want you to think about what God is saying here and how it relates to you personally. Because maybe this is the first time, I don't know everybody in here, maybe this is the first time you've ever walked into a church building. Maybe you've been here for a while, but I want you to ask yourself this question uh, one or two ways. Number one, if you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? And if you're not sure of the answer to that, what we're going to look at is going to give you the answer to that. Now, whether or not you take that step of faith, that's between you and the Lord. But the second thing is this, if you already are saved, if you're a Christian, then these things ought to be the greatest, joyous things in all the Bible because it made all the difference in the world for you and your eternity. Now look at Isaiah chapter 53. And, and who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, if you're not familiar with this passage, let me remind you, this is talking about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Father, the most beautiful, right? The, the most uh, miraculous, the awesomest, if that's even a word. And so Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, and when we're thinking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we're thinking about the holy God of heaven who left his throne to come here, listen to the language of how he was here on earth. I'm grateful that the brother read Philippians chapter 2, the great kenosis passage, where it, where it uh, just gives you the idea that he, that he came to become a servant for, of us, to take upon the cross, the death, even the death of the cross. He's despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Verse 4, surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Our iniquities, that's just a fancy word of saying our sins. Everything you've ever done, thought, or said that was a violation of God and God's word, every wrong thought, every wrong deed, every wrongdoing was laid upon Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is not just a religion by which we practice. He is the Savior who died in our place because he looked down upon us and saw that we were condemned already and that without him we would die and go to hell. He saw those sins, and how in the world could a holy God be reconciled with sinful men, unholy, unrighteous transgressors like us? And yet, he died in our place, and, and, and not just died. Death is a penalty of sin. 
And God, who, ne who never had a beginning, always was and always will be, took upon uh, the form of flesh, became man, subjected himself under the penalty of sin because he was going to bear our sin upon him. And then verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he, was made, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall many righteous servants justify many, or shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him in a portion with the great, and he will, shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's our Savior. That's our God. Now that leads to, that's the prophecy of what we're going to read about today. But again, I don't want you just to think about Jesus just died for us, right? Anybody can recite that, and sometimes that almost comes a cliche statement. He died for us. But I want you to think about the nature of how he died. And I want you to think of the nature of your sin. And I want you to think about the nature on why he died for our sin. It's because he loved you so infinitely. And he did not want you to go to hell, though you deserve it, though I deserve every ounce of hell. He died in our place that we might have life eternal through him. That's why we're here. We come to worship Jesus because he saved our soul. And even though it's, a, it's the crucifixion passage, and though it's about that, Christians, let that draw you in to want to worship Him. Here is the God in heaven who didn't have to but chose to come to die for us. To save us who He could have just left as maggots. Why wouldn't we want to worship Him? For the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. We see the holiness of God and we see what He did for us and we say, man, I... What am I doing? Why would I do this when the God in heaven died for the very thing I'm doing? Let's pray, and then as we open up after prayer, we'll look right at Mark chapter 15. Father, we come now, Lord, having read this passage, having been invigorated by the Spirit of God, Lord, by what was written here, how you were bruised, how you were, by your stripes, we are healed, it's through your blood, your death on the cross, and your resurrection, Father, that we can be saved. Lord, I don't know the comprehension level or the ability to know or who knows what here, Father, but certainly you do. And it is not about me or anybody else as we sung. It is all about you. And Lord, we want to glorify the name of Jesus. We want to look back and, and remember what he's done for us. And if there's anyone here who's not saved, Lord, I pray, Father, you touch their heart and open the eyes of their faith that they might call on you. 
And Father, for those who have already been born again, I pray, Lord, that, that this would just draw us nearer, that we'd have a greater, deeper devotion for you, Lord, as we see what you've done, as we're reminded of the gruesome nature and, 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 and what happened. And Father, forgive us for when we act so fickle, we go astray continually. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you put up with us in long-suffering. And Father, we pray for your power and your spirit to be upon us, Lord. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. And so, Father, we rest on you and we pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 15. Just to bring it up into context, I, I haven't listened to the messages leading up to here, but I know what the Bible says leading up to here. At this particular stage, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples. Matter of fact, it is about this very time that the Bible says that all forsook him. That means all the rest of his disciples went astray. They all went away. They got nervous. They got scared. Fear broke them down. And, and whereby you would have thought, like Peter, he tried to take the sword and not, knock off Mal he knocked off Malchus's ear. Um, as you would have thought, maybe Peter would fight unto the death. Even Peter is following Jesus from afar, denying that he even knows Jesus. Everybody is scared. They had to put all their eggs in this basket. They were looking at Jesus as being this conquering king, this one that would come and release them from the oppression of the Romans. And now he's been captured by the Jews, by themselves. We know the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. And so they rejected him, and, and now the disciples are looking around saying, were we wrong? They got him. What, what, what do we do? Is this correct? Will we write? They're nervous. If we name ourselves among him, we too are going to be killed. In, ver in chapter 15, verse 1, And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consolation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. Now Pilate is the governor of Rome. Many of you probably know that. And he doesn't like the Jews. So he is an ambassador of Rome, a, a governor of Rome, but he is in charge of the Jerusalem area. And he happens to be uh, on premises, if you will, because it's the time of the Passover. And oftentimes, though they didn't live right there, he lived on the shore. He would come in to be able to uh, make sure there was order when these crowded times would come, like the Passover. But he hates the Jews. And so the Jews can, uh, they, they brought Jesus in what would be an illegal trial. We don't have the time to uh, go through all that, but it, it's an illegal trial in the middle of the night, and they condemn him. They have all these false witnesses against him. And so the Jews, in their law, they could condemn someone to death, but they can't put anyone to death. So they have to convince that it's the Romans that need to put him to death. The problem is blasphemy is not a, uh, a, is not a capital crime in Rome. It is in, in Israel, in, in, in the Jewish courts, but not in Rome. And so they got to convince uh, the Romans that he has committed treason by saying he is a higher king than Caesar. So they got this manipulation plan that they're trying to enact, and so they bring him arrested. They bound him by the betrayal of Jesus, uh, Judas, and they bring him to Pilate, and Pilate begins to question him, and Pilate asks him, are thou the king of the Jews? Because the accusation came. He said he's king of the Jews. And now Pilate's thinking, okay, well, we know Caesar's king of the Jews. At least we say he is. And they're saying he says he's king of the Jews. So he asks him, now, Pilate doesn't want to, to crucify Jesus for two reasons. Number one, we're going to see he doesn't find anything really wrong with Jesus. And number two, he doesn't want to give the, the Jews their way. 
He knows this, that the Jews did not arrest him because they feel he's guilty of a crime. He knows that the, the, the Jews arrested him because of envy, because they don't like Jesus, because he, he threw over the tables there earlier in the week because they were robbing people in the temple with the money exchange and selling of the offerings. Uh, and so he knows he doesn't want to give if Caiaphas and Annas their way. So he asks Jesus, hey, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answers in this most cryptic way. He says here, and he answering, and said unto them, thou sayest it. It's like mostly a yes, but he says, you say so. And Pilate's saying, please, just tell me no. But Jesus isn't going to say no. Because the answer is, he is king of the Jews. Although, that's not exactly what Pilate was meaning either. He's saying, are you saying you're the earthly king of the Jews here and now? And Jesus is saying, you say I am. But he also knows it's all part of God's plan. We understand this. Jesus wasn't taken by mistake and uh-oh, he accidentally died. He went here for this mission. This was the mission in which he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is the method by the only way which would seek and to save that which was lost. And so Pilate asks him, Verse number three, and the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. The Bible says, when reviled, revile not again. Here's all these accusations, and many of them are false accusations, and witnesses have been paid to go up against Jesus and make up lies. And all this time, Jesus says nothing. Now understand this, Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. He sits there, hears the lies, and says nothing about it. And here's why. Because he had you on his mind. It is his plan, and it is necessary that he dies, and yet he allows the lies to be thwarted at him. He allows the betrayal. He allows what is about to ensue. And understand this, the night before, when he's in the garden praying, and, the, and he cries out, Lord, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Understand in his humanity, because Jesus is 100% man, and yet at the same time, 100% God in deity. In his humanity, he is praying, Lord, I know what is about to happen. Father, I know all that is about to be realized. If there's any way for it to be different, please. But nevertheless, in submission and out of love, I submit to the plan. So here are these lies flying against him. And Jesus says nothing. Verse number four, and Pilate asked again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. Pilate's saying, hey, throw me a bone here, man. They're lying. I know they're lying. You know they're lying. We know these false witnesses are here. Say something, man. And he says nothing. Nothing. But Jesus answered no thing. So that Pilate marveled. I, Pilate's got to be thinking, hey, I've seen people come in who, <clears throat> who were innocent, and they're, they're spitting and snarling, saying, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. I saw guilty people come in, and they make up all excuses. We both know you're innocent, and you say nothing. And Pilate's surprised by this. He's never seen a man just go so quietly, yet being so innocent. Now, that the feast, now at that feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desire so Pilate begins to think okay 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 
I don't want to crucify this guy, but I don't want an insurrection. I don't want a riot. And he knows this. Caesar has already told him, if there's another riot in Jerusalem, you're going down. You're going you're to be the one responsible for that. So Pilate's got to keep the order, but he despises the Jewish people. He doesn't want to give them this way. And he doesn't want to kill someone who's, not, who's innocent, especially because he doesn't want them to have their way. So he begins to, the wheels begin to, to twirl around, and he remembers, oh yes, there's a, a Roman provision that allows for one of the Jewish prisoners to be released on a Passover as an act of goodwill. We're us who are leading you and oppressing you. We're going to show you an act of goodwill by releasing one of your prisoners. So he says, okay, that's what we're going to do. Okay, all right. Guys, at the Passover, it's customary that we release one prisoner. You know how the story goes. And so um, that's what he's doing. Verse number seven, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him and who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them saying, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. So basically what happens is Pilate goes and he says, okay, let me get one of the worst criminals inside of the criminal system, a murderer, one who's been causing riots, one who's been causing havoc in Jerusalem. I'll get him and I'll get Jesus. And his accusation isn't anywhere near murder and insurrection and rioter and, and, and freedom fighting criminal. I mean, this guy's basically early day terrorist. That's really what he was. So he says, the guy says he's the king of the Jews or the murdering terrorist. What Pilate didn't anticipate was that the Jewish people were going to follow their leaders far more than they were going to follow the advice of a Roman governor. And so the, the Bible tells us here that Annas and Caiaphas and the other religious leaders who are already envious of Jesus and want him gone begin to move the people to go against Jesus and rather release Barabbas. And so the, the, it begins to stir in their heart. And he says, who do you want to release? One of these two guys. And he's thinking, oh, surely they're going to release Jesus. And they begin, and the people, and, and the Annas and Caiaphas, the chief priest, say, no, 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 Barabbas. We want him released. And verse number 12, and Pilate answered and said unto them, Will ye then that I should do unto whom ye call the king of the Jews? He said, wait a second, you, you want to release Barabbas and not Jesus? What should we do with Jesus then? Hoping maybe they'll say, I just put him in prison. And they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, why? What evil have he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. I want you to realize these are the very people that Jesus is dying for. These are the Jews, God's people. And Jesus is offering himself up willingly. And I love what it says in Hebrews, that for the joy set before him endured the cross. Though he was despised and rejected, he knew what it would accomplish, and he knew that by dying on the cross, it would accomplish their eternal life, so it gave him joy. But here are the people, they're saying, kill him crucify him and if you've ever done a medical examination of the crucifixion you know that it is one of the most gruesome forms of torturous death if you were to look up uh, worst forms of capital uh, punishment deaths executions on every list i've ever found is crucifixion is that one of the top couple they would nail you to the cross 
and they would leave you up there till you died. And, and as would be understood, most people died by suffocation. You wouldn't be able to breathe anymore, and you pick yourself up. And then eventually, when they said you've been up there too long, they'd break your legs, so you no longer could push up to breathe. And it was a slow, long, humiliating, torturous death. And this is what the Jews are crying out. Kill him. Crucify him. Torture him. How much envy do you need to be built up to really want that type of death for anyone? And Jesus knew this the night before when he cried out, Father, if there be any way. Matter of fact, I want to put this thought in your mind. Jesus knew that this day would come before he even created the world. And he created it anyway. He knew that when he created mankind, they would sin. And that would lead to this day. And he created mankind anyway. He knew you and I would do all the ridiculous things we've ever done, all the wretched thoughts we've ever had, all the sinful behavior that's ever been inside of our bones and outside. And he knew that it would cause him this day. And he did it anyway. That's infinite love. Because he didn't have to create anybody. But he did. And so they're yelling, crucify him. Verse 15, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now understand this, um, Pilate's got an extra problem. He just released a terrorist. And he already knows that he's on short order from Caesar, that if there's another kind of insurrection, he's going down. And he just let, let go of an insurrectionist. But he knew that he had a tough choice now because if he doesn't release Jesus, there's going to be an insurrection. He's gotten himself in a jam. So he does this scourging. It's easy to miss what that means. Scourging would be uh, strapping a prisoner and taking off the robe and strapping him to a pole and taking what would be a cat of nine tails, which was a, a, a rod with um, leather straps at the end that would be like a whip and at the end of the leather straps would be embedded in glass and, and bone and stuff like that. And if you've ever seen the visual of it in the Passion of the Christ, and, and they would whip and rip, whip and rip, and it would start to tear the flesh of the back in the most gruesome way. And think of how painful it would be. Now understand this too, that Pilate, one of his reasons for doing this, is hoping that if he beats him enough, they will have mercy to let him live. He's hoping when they see the bloody Jesus, they're going to say, enough! He's had enough. Because all he said was he's their king, or at least all they said he said was he was their king. And so they begin to scourge him, whip and rip, whip and rip, whip and rip. And, and, the, and the torture is so gruesome that many people didn't even make it to the crucifixion because they would die right there on the post. And we know elsewhere in the Bible that he was about one whip short of death. And so he whips them, and nothing changes in the Jews. Crucify him. So he leads them to be crucified, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plated a crown of thorns and put it upon his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. 
And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the robe from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So the soldiers get him and they bring him into the palace. That would be the palace where, um, where, where Pilate would have been staying for the time being. It would have been the local uh, place there of royalty or of governor's mansion type of thing. And, and the soldiers, be, they don't care. They begin to have their fun. Now this, these are Roman soldiers, hardened war guys who believe in pagan gods anyway for the most part. They don't care what the Jewish religion is. They don't care Jehovah God. They don't care this man. They, they don't care. So they begin to mock him. And they take a crown of thorns and they jam it on his head as if to mock him for being king. They put on the color of royalty, the, the purple robe, and put him on him. They give him a scepter in his hand and they begin to get down and, oh, king of the Jews, king of the Jews. And they're mocking him. Let me put this in perspective. In Revelation chapter 1, when John the Apostle sees Jesus in the King of Kings state of holiness, he falls down as dead. God is so holy and magnificent and wonderful that you and I couldn't stand in his presence and live if he didn't at least veil some of it. And yet here they're on their face mocking ridiculing as if he didn't couldn't just go and wipe out the whole world the shame we know that they ripped his beard out they spit upon him one of the lowest most despicable responses of one person to another would be to spit in their face and here they spit on him and they beat him and, and they mock him He's just been bloodied almost unto death. He's not, he's not uh, just come out of prison and this is what they start with. I mean, he can barely stand and, and he can barely move and they're mocking him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. You see, that sounds awful and sadistic. This, all this was happening was pleasing the Lord, the Bible says, because he knew that it would purchase your soul. You want to talk about how much God loves you? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not just a simple kid's song. It is a reality that is so sobering that it ought to rivet you right where you're standing. It ought to change everything about you. It ought to affect every area of your life. That's why for a disciple of Christ, a Christian, uh, Christ is not just something we add to. It's, it's who we are. It's what he's done for us that's changed everything. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He's given us a new life in Christ. And we know what he's done. It's real easy just to be kind of a casual Christian and go on with your life and also I'm a Christian. But when you get alone with what Christ did for you, you either have to plug your ears and go la, 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 or you allow it to effectively change you to become a sold out Christian. Because how can someone do this for you? If you and I were at the beach and one of the little ones was out there in the beach and they began to drown. And a lifeguard came and saved one of the little ones. 
and he died having saved my child or your child how what would our response be to that man's family or that woman's family we wouldn't even know what to say we'd say i'm sorry your son died for mine to live thank you so much he didn't die in vain i've read stories of of um people in the foxhole together in military and one of their brothers dies and that soldier of theirs that soldier brother of theirs may says you know what no matter what i'm taking care of your kids the rest of the rest of our lives because you were there for me and they come home and and they do what they can why because there was something there that saved them, that caused dedication to that and thankfulness to that family. How, how is it possible to be a casual Christian knowing what Jesus did for us? How are we not thankful? How are we not sold out? How are we not over the top dedicated? I know we have a sin nature that gets in the way and we get distracted and we get all kinds of crazy, but let this change us. This is what he's going through. And he hasn't even been crucified yet up to this point in the narrative. He's only been brought to the place of scourging and mocking. And by the way, all the disciples still have scattered and they've all forsaken him. Verse 21, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. He begins to, the the crucified people, the condemned, would carry the cross beam of their cross, which would weigh about close to 100 pounds, and, and he could not even carry that. And so they grab a man from Cyrene, which is northern Africa, who happened to be there. Either he lived there for some reason or he was there for the Passover feast. And he happened to be a father of Alexander and Rufus, which tells us that the reader of Mark probably knew who these men were, that they might have been disciples. So perhaps this whole situation changes Simon the Cyrenian. I don't know for sure, but it is possible. And so they, hey, you come here, carry this for him. Why? Because Jesus was so could not even carry the cross. He needed help. And they bring him unto the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. Golgotha is just the transliteration of the skull. Calvary is from the Latin Vulgate. It's a transliteration there of also in Latin what would be the skull. This mountaintop that if you look at the side of it looked like a skull, and that's where they were doing the crucifixion just right outside the, uh, the city there. And they brought him to Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull, and they gave him drink why uh, they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh but he received it not myrrh was from a plant that had medicinal purposes and it mixed it with wine it was like a painkiller and they brought him there and somebody had enough compassion to say at least give him some sedative and he refused it because he said i will suffer in its entirety my wife is in the back um you you can look at her later um, we have six kids, and each of the six kids, there's the question, would you like an epidural? Now, there's some ladies out there like, nope, I want to feel the full suffering of the pain. Good. My wife was like, well, you know, my wife is pretty tough with pain, so she's at the point she's like, well, I don't have a lot of pain, but I don't know if I don't want it. I don't know if it's going to get worse, so maybe. And they're like, you got to just choose. And she's like, okay. And I'm glad she said okay because less pain for her six kids and they're all giant kids by the way um the last one i'll tell you this little quick story the last one we had a midwife in stony brook hospital 
and it was the middle of the night, and, and the baby started coming through, but the baby was like 11 and a half pounds, something like that, and um, the midwife flips her, I mean, hits the alarm, code white, I don't know what code white means, I would thought code red, maybe that's when you die, I don't know, but code white, all of a sudden, like 50 people running on, pushed to the side, they literally flip her on, like her legs over her head, the baby finally is delivered, everything's fine, it's charity, uh, my youngest daughter, she's three now, and, and the midwife literally w- walked out and was just like, I can't, th- that took years off my life, and just disappeared, and we didn't see her again, because the baby gotten stuck halfway through, I guess, I don't know, any which way, Jesus said, no, I want to feel the full suffering of the pain for us. And when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. He puts it in a nutshell. Mark is the, is the quickest of all the Gospels. It's the shortest, and it kind of goes really quick. One of the key words of the book of Mark is straightway, right? Because it's just going to give the narrative really quick. And so it says, and they crucified him. It doesn't go into the fact that they took his arms, and they probably tied him to the crossbeam and slammed in a nail and slammed in a nail to the other one and, and then put it down on there and stripped him of his clothes and then put it into the hole where it would bang down. And he was with two other malefactors, two thieves and then so then now we get to this point where he's up on the cross and the soldiers start throwing dice to be able to see who's going to get to take home his garments and sell it on ebay or something i mean it's a fulfillment of prophecy but how disrespectful do you have to be that this guy is right in front of you about to die they didn't even have the respect to say let's wait till he dies to figure out what to do they're like let's let's figure and i want that no i want that right before him and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. They would put your, your, your crime right above you and it said king of the Jews. What they didn't realize is how on point they were. And with them they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. We know how Luke goes into the story of the two thieves, the thief on the cross, and one guy says, hey, remember me when thou gets, uh, enters into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let that be a reminder that no matter how far gone your past has been, if you'd call on Jesus, he'd completely save you. Here's a man that's being crucified for thieving, for stealing, for whatever other crimes, about to go unto death. And right then, right there, he cries out unto Jesus for mercy. And, and the Bible says, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You can be saved today. You can be born again. You can be forgiven today. Verse 29, they, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. So people would walk by and they would be, begin This guy said he's going to destroy the temple and in three days build it up again. What they didn't realize was that was a prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about the literal temple being destroyed and rebuilt in three days. They walked by and shook their head. (laughs) This guy, oh, if you're really God, then save yourself. If you're really the king, save yourself. If you're the miracle worker, son of God, save yourself. (laughs) What they didn't realize is that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. And as the song goes, but he died alone for you and me. 
Likewise, also, verse 31, the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Everybody's mocking Jesus. The chief priests say, if he really is Christ, prove it. He's not Christ. What they're trying to do is soothe their own conscience. Not only was he not going to come down to prove it to them because he was on the cross proving it to them, but he could have come down and just wiped them out. But we don't have all the recorded sayings, the seven recorded sayings in the book of Mark, but one of them is this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As just a side note of application, I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but sometimes Christians tend to be a little unmerciful to each other. I don't know how it's even possible to be unmerciful or have an attitude of lacking mercy one to another when here is Jesus on the cross being crucified for their sins. They're mocking him, and he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who made us judge and executioner? Now, that doesn't mean we compromise against sin. What sin is sin, right? We say that, but a merciful spirit, a merciful attitude, because that was what Christ was. They begin to mock him. The thieves begin to mock him. We know that story. Verse 33, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. A three-hour span of this darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at that moment that Jesus was bearing the weight of every sin ever committed, ever thought, ever spoken. And the holy God in heaven and, the, and the, the righteous son, but he bore the sins, were separated in that moment because of the weight of our sin. Don't minimize the wickedness of your sin. It is wicked. My sin is wicked, nasty. And I'm not a good person. You're not a good person. There is none righteous, no, not one. But when a person is saved because they realize, I am not good, I am a sinner, but he, God in heaven, died for that wickedness. I could be righteous through him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The heaviness weight of the sin. And some of them stood by when they heard it said, behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him, drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Jesus died. We can probably preach weeks on the death of Christ. Months. And we encapsulate it in just a few moments on a Sunday morning. All of eternity was waiting for this ever since the time of Genesis chapter 3 when God prophesied to us and to Adam and Eve that there would come one that would crush the serpent's head but the serpent would bruise his heel. The prophecy of Christ's coming, it had been accomplished. It is finished. 
was one of the other things that Jesus stated. What was finished? The penalty being purchased. The ransom being paid. You and I had no hope in heaven without Jesus Christ's death here. Just to give the rest of the commentary here. And when the centurion which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. One of the Roman soldiers said, this was the Son of God. There was also women looking on afar off, among whom Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Salome, who also was with, well, he was, followed him and which. And it goes on to say that the centurion and Joseph Arimathea begged for the body. Pilate allowed it. Pilate marveled. But right now, Jesus is crucified. Right here where we are in the narrative, it is finished. And what was one of the most gruesome deaths in all the Bible? And it's not just a myth. It's not a story of Zeus or Hercules. The absolute historical truth, 100% accurate in the Bible, and it was for you and for me. How does that change you? By the way, this is the message that the world needs. And the Bible says, if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We in the confines of this building know the gospel truth. But what about the lost and dying world? What about the neighbors that we have? What about the cousins and the friends and the co-workers we have that are on their way to hell and might not even realize it? What about the false Jesuses being preached out there? The ones that's just your buddy and if you're good enough and with his help and your goodness, you'll get to heaven. Friends, you and I are sinners. Born in this world, condemned already. And Jesus came to stop that condemnation that through his stripes we would be healed. Now next week we're going to look at the resurrection. The resurrection is, is necessary. Let me put this thought in your mind and we'll elaborate on it next week. The resurrection of Christ proved that the wrath of God was empty. He paid it all. Friend, there is no greater friend that sticketh closer than a brother than Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Sometimes just going through the narrative and seeing the Scripture and letting the Scripture speak to us is sometimes better than having three points. Because what is the central theme of the entire Bible? Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I deliver unto you that which I first received, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day rose again according to the Scriptures. I don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ, but I do know he loves you, and I do know he died, and I do know that you can be saved and born again through him.
So let me ask you this question. I don't know if New Village is, is used to this or not, so just hear my voice, no matter who you are, even if you're a first-time visitor. Be- head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you would say this, it's just between you, me, and the Lord. You'd say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you do anything you want to do. But can I please just pray for you? If you say, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven, would you please pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand right now that I can pray for you? Is there one like that? God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. Maybe you just have some doubts. Is there one like that here? Let me ask a second question. Maybe you're here and you say this. Pastor Jason, hearing about Jesus and what he's done for me and his love for me and what that love looked like is helping to remind me that I need to live more fervently and more dedicated to him as a disciple. And as a testimony of that, if the Lord's laying that on your heart, would you raise your hand? I need to be more faithful to Christ. I see your hands. God bless you. I see your hands and your hands. God bless you. Good. Good. God bless you. If God's put that on your heart, would you raise your hand? God bless you. I see your hand too. Good. Good. I see your hand too. Amen. One more question. Maybe just hearing what Christ has done for you has stirred your heart about souls. And you say, I need to go share the gospel with someone. I need to tell another, one beggar, telling another beggar where to find bread, as Spurgeon said it. I need to go tell somebody about what Christ did for them, lest they also go to the place of torment. If God stirred your heart about souls today, would you raise your hand as a testimony? I might pray for you about that. Praise the Lord, I see many hands. He died for them too, friends. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Again, I don't know if New Hope, uh, New Village does this or not, but if you want to come forward and pray, just between you and the Lord, you want to stay in your seat and pray, you can. I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute. The music will begin to play. If you want to just do business with God, I just want to take this few moments for you just to be between you and the Lord, either in your seat or if you wanted to just use these steps, you may as David begins to play, and I'll pray in just a few moments.